Hello and welcome to this newest edition of the Lakers Side Chats. I've got an amazing guest on once more, the Laker Twitter legend. He's the go on Laker videos, Pete Zayas, Laker Film Room. Welcome to the show, sir. How are you? I'm I'm very flattered by that introduction, Alan. Thank you. It's, I'm happy to be here. No, thank you. Thank you. You're one of the bucket list guests I've always had, so you coming on is a great it's it's great for the show, so thank you so much. Of course, of course. Looking forward to talking Lakers with you, man. No, absolutely. And just to put a disclaimer out, if you are listening after Sunday night slash Monday morning, depending on where you are in the world, we are recording before the Hornets game. So if something major happens, that's why we haven't talked about it on this episode. Um, let's just get going. Pete? What do you make of the start so far, the first couple of games on the Lakers? What have you seen that have made you positive, that certain players that are pleasing you at the start, that are worrying you? You know, what, What's your initial impressions? So in terms of players, I, I loved watching Danny Green on tape, but having him on my favorite team is a whole other experience in that he's just a guy who really understands how basketball works. He's limited in terms of, of talent, right? He's not going to be the leading or second leading scorer on, the, on a team at any point in his career, but he just really knows what he's doing, and that's exactly the type of guy, along with his shooting prowess, that you want to put around stars like LeBron and Anthony Davis who have a great deal of gravity. So he's been the guy I've delighted in the most from a team perspective. The defense, I've been I was really excited by that Utah game. Their perimeter defense was astounding and what the presence of Anthony Davis allows is it allows those perimeter players to be more aggressive because if they make a mistake, he can help clean that up on the back end in ways that other bigs can't. And so guards will be more and more aggressive this year with the Lakers as a result of having Anthony Davis back there. And to a lesser extent, Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee. The offense has been a little bit frustrating. Um, teams, Both teams, the Clippers and Utah, have switched quite a bit on the Lakers, and the Lakers have been a bit perplexed on how to attack that. Uh, we saw some signs of positivity and progress on the offensive end in the second half of that Utah game when they substituted Caruso in for JaVale McGee, spread the floor a little bit. And so I'm curious to see how, how that goes on throughout the year, especially considering AD doesn't want to play the five all the time. Uh, but yeah, the the offensive end has been a little bit concerning that they have not had a better plan to attack those switches. 100%. And the biggest thing that I've seen is that Alex Caruso is probably our best point guard option on the roster. And I know he was a little shaky offensively, but defensively more than made up for it, in my opinion. I don't know what you saw, but I presume you yeah. probably the same type of thing. Yeah, so defensively, he's certainly our best point guard. And I noticed, did you notice how slow the Lakers were playing prior to Caruso? And then he came in and they just, he just gave them a little bit of pace along with anything else. And he's not a great on-ball point guard in the way that you would con conventionally think of that position. But he, you know, he moves off of the ball. A lot of times on those switches, you know, we'll post up AD and then the other four guys will stand there. Crusoe's going to go and try and set a down screen for you. If you get the defensive rebound, he's going to try and get you out in transition. So it's just an element of this team. He's not always going to be the right guy for the team that they're playing against or the group that's on the court. But that ability to defend, as you pointed out, and push the pace and just kind of get things moving a bit, I think is going to be a value option, valuable option that the Lakers will have going forward. No, 100%. And the biggest thing I noticed with Caruso is he can make an entry past into the post. <laughs> yes. And 
just someone who can do it at an average level will mean we'll get like at least another eight to ten points a game because that, that was the biggest thing I noticed from the first one and a half games. So second half was a lot better, but the first one and a half it was very very worrying. The angles we were passing at, like we're trying to pass from the top of the key inside the post, which makes no sense. It's just an easy steal for defenses. That's right. And the velocity of passes as well, it just didn't look right. And I'm, I'm sure you were probably the same. At points, I was like, if I had any hair, I'd be pulling it out. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, no, it was very, fr- you know, Quinn Cook was one of the guilty parties on that. Avery Bradley had a couple of them. And so, yeah, yeah, him being able to throw those entry passes and then split cut off of that and just get that movement going will be very valuable. Oh, absolutely. We, we've talked about the guys that have pleased us. Uh, there's obviously one player on the Lakers, if you follow anything on Twitter, that has worried most people. Uh, Is there anyone else who's worrying you, or is KCP? Well, yeah, KCP. (laughs) Uh, KCP, wow, he can really disappear. He's He's somebody that I feel like when he does have a bad game, Laker fans are so frustrated with him overall that it's difficult for us to acknowledge when he does. Uh, he certainly has not had a good game in these first first two games to defend. Uh, and yeah, when you, you're relied on to come off of screens and shoot and you're putting up zero points and one point. Did you see uh, today I was cracking up with this that uh, a Chinese Lakers forum was called Binary him Mamba. Binary Mamba. Because <laughs> of zeros and ones that he's scoring. Uh, I thought that was great. Um, so, yeah, he's been frustrated. The thing I'm concerned about, because KCP, like, look, I, I want him to produce better, and he's going to at some point, <laughs> hopefully soon. But I don't think he's essential in that if he's not doing all that well, I think you can fill his spot with somebody else. The biggest thing I'm concerned with, legitimately concerned with, is Anthony Davis's jump shot. Obviously a phenomenal player overall, and he's really been a, a linchpin of the defense. But he's shooting something like 5 for 22 outside of of eight feet or something like that just his jumper since the preseason has not been there at all and in those lineups where you've got two bigs which is what you know he doesn't want to play the five all the time so if you're going to have a JaVale or Dwight Howard in the game they don't provide any spacing at all so if his jumper isn't falling all of a sudden you have a very congested paint and teams are going to let him shoot that shot because it's better than him rolling to the basket or getting around the rim where he can do a lot of damage so that's the one thing where I haven't seen any flickers of that being of even an average quality that that will be problematic going forward if that doesn't change the biggest thing that with my view on the anthony davis jump shot thing is the quality of jump shots he's taking is really poor Mm -hmm. like he's either taking it fading away or falling away from the rim and while you know there are certain players who in nba history have been killers namely Dirk Nowitzki in the fall away jump shot it's not really a shot you want your players to take you know like it's the worst type of jump shot to take just if you're comparing them all and the one time he actually took a jump shot where he was on balance where he made a nice move where his footwork was really good was the one where he pulled up on Gobert when he was playing at the five and mm-hmm. you're there, like, that's what he needs to do more consistent. I don't know what you think, but I was, I'm worried about the decision-making. But I feel like that's the, also one of the drawbacks of playing the two bigs as well, wherein that he has no space to be able to operate, which doesn't help. I feel like if DeMarcus Cousins was healthy, which mm-hmm. obviously is out of our control, it would have helped a heck of a lot more as well. 
No, that's a great point. And, uh, you know, for that spacing and for AD, but your, your point about decision-making especially is, is a good one. He doesn't have the best shot selection. He is absolutely incredible on the shots he should be taking. He will make those at a, an incredibly high rate, but the when when he's forced to shoot a turnaround or on there are a lot of plays where he should probably just kick it out to the perimeter because he doesn't have a good opportunity but this is this is a common issue of superstar caliber players is that they can make those really difficult shots and even if it's 30% of the time they can make those so they feel empowered to take them but if they're only making it 30% of the time that's not the best look that you could get out of that position. I see him uh I see his upper body kind of leaning back quite a bit on a lot of his jumpers when he doesn't have to be. It's one thing if you're in the post and you're fading away from a contest, but I'm seeing that on the perimeter too on open spot up threes and just he looks very uncomfortable, very tight shoulders. Uh there's a technique called sweep and sway where you do lean back like that but you're also jumping and kicking your legs out and that's to relax tension in the shoulders uh kobe used to shoot like that a few other tracy mcgrady was a player who shot in that manner but that's not what ad is doing and just everything looks very tight and he's going to need to address some of the mechanics of his jumper along with that decision making that you were talking about well another thing with ad um just being a coach, you're around players who have moved teams, different circumstances. They want to impress, so they try harder than they usually would. And mm. then that isn't conducive to good offense if you're trying a lot harder than you regularly would if you were, say, playing for the Pelicans still. I also feel like there's an element of that within his game as well. You know, I might be wrong because... No. That's a great point. That that probably dies down, you know, in five or ten games, and just the whole "I'm new here, I want to impress" phenomenon probably goes away. Because I'm I'm sure we're in agreement as well that AD plans to be there here for the long haul, mm-hmm. unless something drastically bad happens, which I don't even want to think about. <laughs> right. But he's here for the long haul, so I feel like he wants to make a really good first impression. So as a result of that, I feel like he's trying a bit too hard offensively. Defensively, he's been fantastic. Uh, like the plays where he was where he was manning up against Kawhi in the first game, and he just kills Kawhi completely twice was amazing. And it it's a nice option to have having a big like that who can just guard their best wing and stop him from scoring. You know. Yeah. No. Ab- absolutely. That and just that ability to. He has a unique ability to be kind of two places at once, right? And along with that ability, that ability to defend Kawhi while being this great rim protector, on the weak side, he's able to help down in the paint and then close out on, on jumpers. He's this defensive weapon that there isn't really anybody like him in the NBA. There are other great defenders, no doubt, but somebody who brings that degree of versatility really, like, if the Lakers can lock him up long-term, man, they're going to be in in good shape. Like, the floor of what this team can be is very high. No, absolutely. And, I mean, as long as you're not saying that LeBron's washed and isn't a top-20 player anymore and, you know, doesn't deserve to be on the same floor as these other superstars, I think we'll be fine going forward, you know. It's the re- overreactions after that Clipper game were ridiculous. <laughs> Indeed they were. Let's. We talked about KCP for a bit. One thing that I do feel sorry with KCP for, especially in the Clipper game, I thought he was trying his ass off. I, I, yeah. I, really thought, I thought he was in great defensive positions. It's just he's too small to guard Kawhi. 
and people don't want to hear that, you know. They just want to go, he's horrible defensively. And whilst I have my problems with KCP playing, I don't think it was for a lack of effort what happened against the Clippers. It, it certainly wasn't. He's just not, he shouldn't be assigned to him in the first place, right? Like if we if we asked Alex Crusoe to defend Joel Embiid in the post and Joel Embiid was killing him, we wouldn't get mad at Crusoe. We'd get mad at Vogel. And that's who I was upset about in that Clipper game is that I thought that Danny Green's minutes should have mirrored Kawhi's because especially with Kuzma out and Kuzma is a questionable defender at, at, at best right now, but at least he has some size, right? He's got the ability to, you know, not be shot over quite as easily as KCP was. So you're you're spot on with that, that. That like KCP was solid on defense in the Utah game, and he was fine in the Clipper game. He just can't do what he was asked to do. No, and, and that's the biggest thing. And we'll get on to the coaching and what we've seen thus far. But with KCP, A, he needs to make his shots. I feel like if he just starts making some shots, a lot of this pressure that's on him from the fans will die down a little bit. Because we are all Laker fans, like we don't want him, we don't actively go out rooting against the guy. But right. at the same time, it is frustrating for fans if you see, just hypothetically, you see KCP struggling out there, but Alex Caruso wasn't getting a single minute in the first game. I understand why fans are frustrated by the whole ordeal. Yeah, no, that it's when there's better option on the and part of it with KCP is this is his third year with the Lakers and he's always been kind of perceived as the clutch tax that you pay for having LeBron on the team. And you know that <laughs> look, we love having LeBron, but if somebody's playing better than he is, that that person should get the playing time. Right. And that's been something where when he gets kind of unearned minutes, that's when I think it can cause a certain degree of frustration amongst Laker fans where it's like, okay, you, you don't have it right now. And that's fine. That's, that is natural for role players. Caruso will struggle. Quinn Cook, all of those guys will have their their nights. Well, let's not give them 27 minutes that night, right? Let's go with the guy who's playing a little bit better. And so if there's a bit of a better balance in that respect, I think that you know some of the frustration with KCP will not not completely go away, but will be reduced by by quite a bit. No, absolutely, and. My biggest thing with it is also, I'm sure you followed it on Twitter as well. People saying like Jamal Crawford would be a better option. I'm there like, have people not watched <laughs> the NBA in the past three years? <laughs> yeah. People love scoring, Alan. You know, like that's anybody who can put up points, they're going to be advocated for. We see that with Carmelo Anthony as well. There's a reason why he's not in the league and because his skill set is the most abundant. Guys who can score are abundant. And if you aren't doing that at a really high level, then you're going to be asked to do other things that those guys just don't do. And so that's just the nature of why guys like Crawford and you know Carmelo Anthony aren't in the league. KCP's a solid defender. And sometimes on some nights, that's all we're going to need him to be. No, and I had this conversation with... So I was involved and I got to know some of the coaches of the Bosnian national team in different levels over the summer. And I was talking to them about it and it's there like we have like 20 guys who in the country who can score at least 20 to 30 a game. But we don't have like four guys who can stop them people scoring. <laughs> <laughs> so it's there like you, you have to pick the guys who will stop them as well. And I don't feel like people get that, that Jamal Crawford might put up 18 in a game, but his guy will score 35 on him. In the same time in those minutes, you know, that that's 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 just the way it works, you know, 
And people, like you said, they love scoring, but also people remember the best versions of people. Like, mm-hmm. after, especially if they've not been around a while, it's like that thing. That's, I don't know where I heard the analogy. It's like when you break up with a girlfriend and life's not going particularly well for you. So after a few years, you start romanticizing the idea <laughs> of her until you get back together. And he's like, oh, this is why we broke up in the first place. That's it's right. the same thing with these players. Like, I have no doubts that people would be excited to see a Carmelo Anthony or a Jamal Crawford initially. But after a while, I feel like that thought will great on them after they give up a basket every single time they play defense, you know. No, that's that's spot on, right? And and that's why, I mean, and, and NBA teams know this, right? That's why they don't have a job in the first place. It's not anything against those guys, right? They were... They were good to great players in this league for a long time, but that's how quickly things change in the NBA. And if you don't have those supplemental skill sets, I love the analogy of the Bosnian national team coach of what he said. That's exactly right. There are guys out of the NBA who, if given a decent role, could score 12 to 15 points a night, but they don't contribute in any other area, and that's that's why they're not. So, yeah, that was a really good segue to start talking about Coach Vogel. What? signs have you seen let's talk about positive developments from his system from the decisions he's made so far i i will strain a bit to find something good on the offensive end uh they have one thing i've been upset about has been well sorry you didn't ask me about what i've been upset about uh i like the adjustment how about that his adjustment (laughs) in the second half of the utah game to just not keep you know cramming the square peg into the round hole in that particular game. And that game will not necessarily be indicative of how they have to approach all games going forward. He said in the post-game show that they wanted to pull Gobert out of the paint, which is wise, right? That's when you've got two bigs, he can kind of defend both of them in to, to some degree, or at least defend the rim and be around the hoop without getting a defensive three-second violation call and almost you know, that's his area when when that happens. And so the Lakers, the paint was so clogged that when Vogel made the adjustment to go to Caruso rather than McGee, that pulled Gobert out onto the perimeter on a more frequent basis. And that was something that Lakers were able to capitalize on in that decisive third quarter. Uh, you know, in, in terms of his system defensively, I've been really happy with how they fight over screens, with how um, he's got a principle uh, that on pick and roll defenses on his drop coverages, which a drop coverage is when you, you have the big dropped back in the paint as the, your defensive guard fights over the ball screen. His principle is no roller behind, which means that the big may hedge at a certain level, but as that, the offensive big man who set the screen starts to roll to the basket, he's going to keep dropping back with him, meaning that no roller gets behind you defensively. That allows the weak side tagger on the wing. He doesn't have to tag as much, so you're able to take away shooters a little bit better. And it's good principles with the types of bigs. You can't do that no roller behind concept with any big, but you've got a couple pogo sticks in JaVale McGee and Anthony Davis. Dwight used to be that. He's not that as much anymore, but he's still very strong and can still protect the rim. So I've been happy with his defensive system. The offense leaves a lot to be desired. Before we go on to other things about that, I just want to give a shout out to Dwight because he's coming yes. to a really bad situation, not a bad situation, but a difficult situation when it comes to like what happened previously at the Lakers with our fans. He just seems a lot more 
he he seems like a 33 year old who just wants to play basketball now that's what it seems like with Dwight and he's working his ass off both on the offensive and defensive boards he's just doing what's asked of him and it's been amazing honestly it has yeah no he's been so (laughs) it's funny there's so much animosity toward Dwight or there has been with you know Laker fans and just him coming in and doing his job and playing hard on both ends as simple as that may seem that's difficult for somebody who spend who spent the vast majority of their life as the star player on their team and to be able to make that adjustment we were just talking about Carmelo Anthony right like if Dwight was still in that mindset he'd still be sitting at home like Carmelo Anthony is. So that ability to transition and take joy and pride in doing the little things, I I can't say enough about the start that Dwight's had. I've been been thrilled with him. No, absolutely. And it's that thing, it's like with Vince Carter as well. They've adjusted. Because let's be honest, Dwight was a bona fide superstar in the NBA. Mm -hmm. Whoever whoever tries to say anything different is just lying. I'm sorry. This guy was, what was he, two or three time in a row, Defensive Player of the Year, MVP candidate. The Orlando team that he took to the finals, while it wasn't a bad team per se, it wasn't the greatest team I've ever seen. And there were much better teams in the East back then than that Orlando team. Yeah, they beat a LeBron team. They beat a LeBron team that year to, to get to the finals. And it, and it was that Boston Celtics team as well. It was, it was a juggernaut, that team. <laughs> you know, we did beat them and they beat us once in the finals as well. And they didn't have to, you know, they beat the, Le- the LeBron team. But also, the East wasn't an easy... It's not like now, is it? Like, where you, you really know who the two best teams are and then everyone else is sort of middling to, at best, you know. But Dwight's been really good and it's been nice to see as well, you know. And I I don't know about you. I'm not one of these guys who, like, I don't have any grudges against people for making a decision of where they want to work, you know. Like, if he wants to leave, that's, you know, all power to him. But it's difficult. It is. And massive respect to him anyway. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, Dwight made a decision that was probably the right one for him, right, considering how that stretch for the Lakers worked out. Um, I I think that, you know, he's – He's unpopular around the NBA in part because he's perceived as disingenuous. But, you know, in this situation, especially coming back to a fan base that had so much animosity, to approach it the way that he has, you can hear how he's quickly winning back Laker fans. And, you know, we're fickle as fans. That's, that is the nature <laughs> of it, right? So, uh, you know, keep playing like this and we'll be chanting Dwight and Staples Center in no time. Well, that's the thing as well. I've never seen two polar opposites. Because up until like maybe like two, three minutes to go, Dwight didn't have a single point in that game. Right. And right. The, the two complete different reactions to Dwight's zero point game and KCP's one point game was vastly <laughs> different. So and one we- of my friends was telling me this and he was like, it's unfair to KCP. I'm like, Dwight earned the Lakers a bunch of extra possessions with his offensive rebounding. And sometimes it's not him getting a rebound, but it's him drawing a foul after a shot, right? Because somebody's trying to keep him off of the offensive boards and they're, they've got to they've got to foul him to, in order to do that. That's great for a team. That gives you another opportunity that you wouldn't have otherwise had. He was also really good on rim protection. And, and so while Dwight was not, you know, and he didn't score his, you know, zero or, you know, in his case, or one point in KCP's, his effort was markedly better than, than KCP's in that game, even factoring in for the defensive end. No, absolutely. And I don't know what you think about Dwight's rebounding on the offensive side. Some of yeah. the taps and tips were just Rodman-esque. Rodman's one of my favorite players of all uh-huh. time, not my favorite player of all time. But the way he was rebounding the ball was so Rodman-esque. It just... It, 
I'm not saying he'll be as good a rebounder as Dennis Rodman was, but even if he can get relatively close to that on the offensive side, that's a big problem for opposing teams, especially with a second unit that will get Kuzma back as well. You know, absolutely. No, and it's let's. So we've had enough positive. Let's talk about the negatives now. <laughs> mm-hmm. What have you seen negatively from Coach Vogel so far? Just so the offensive stuff, let's get more into detail on that. Uh, they've posted up quite a bit, which I am not as against as most people are. It's kind of frowned upon in today's pace and space NBA. The the Warriors at their best posted up quite a bit. And what they would do is they would run action off of that. So the post attempt was, you know, for that guy to be the scorer, that's the third or even fourth option on the play. My complaint with the Lakers post-ups has been the degree to which there's uh to we they're stagnant right they're all standing around they're not split cutting they're not speed cutting which is when you make that post entry pass and then you cut off of the post player on either side of him there there's no weak side action none of that right and so those types of things and and then <laughs> they don't have much of a game plan for uh for when teams switch as I was, you know, you can set flare screens, back screens, you can slip screen. There, there are different things you can do aside from just matchup on. And I would argue that post ups for Anthony Davis, fifteen feet away from the rim, even if he's defended by a two or a three, right? And a lot of the switches with the Lakers are different than how it affects other teams because LeBron's our primary ball handler. So if you switch with, say, Damian Lillard and Hassan Whiteside in Portland. Now you've got your big on a very quick guy in Damian Lillard, and now you've got you know a massive guy in Whiteside on the other end. LeBron and AD are close enough size-wise where you know it's not that big of a size difference when they switch that. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Lakers navigate that. I feel like they've had really no plan at all for how to do so uh, so far, and that's my biggest complaint with Vogel. Well, the, what you said about the Warriors was a great point because they pass the ball into the post and then they run either a drag play or a type of stagger play to get Steph or Clay or their abundance of shooters at their best wide open to get wide open shots. And like you said, it was the third or fourth option was to score from the post. And I feel like just running just a basic stagger option for a Danny Green would just open the post up completely for Anthony Davis or LeBron or whoever's posting up at that particular time, you know. It would, and it would just be a lot easier, you know. No, that's a great point because when you run that weak side action, you're at least occupying those defenders. They've got to do something rather than cheating that extra step toward AD. So even if that stagger screen that you're talking about doesn't result in a shot for a Danny Green, it may result in a little bit of extra space for Anthony Davis to actually go to work. So, yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And I was mentioning this to one of my coaching colleagues who also loves the NBA and we were just talking about, because he knows that I've watched every single Laker game and I've watched it to ad nauseum. And, he, and I was just telling him, like, it's really difficult for either LeBron or AD to post up when there's no weak side action, as you know. Because what happens is that then the defense overhelps because they know there's no action. So essentially you're going one on four or one on five in some circumstances, which doesn't help anyone. And maybe they should kick at that point. But at the same time, if you've got three defenders around you, it's really hard. It doesn't matter if you're LeBron James or Magic Johnson. It's really hard to make that pass, you know, out of the post. So, like you said, all of those issues would be sorted if we could just get some weak side action going. Yeah, yeah, spot on, man. One thing I have been remarkably positive about is 
they are trying to stagger LeBron and AD a lot. So they're trying to always have at least one of them on court, which helps a lot as well. And the only, the times that we, they haven't been on is the times when people have gone on runs against us. Like in the first quarter against the Clippers, as soon as AD picked up that second foul, that's when the Clippers started to come back into the game a little bit. And I, I just worry that, you know, if they try to do that a little bit more, I know the regular season isn't really important anymore, quote unquote. But at the same time, you don't want to pick. I, I don't even think it's about seedings this season. I think it's more about matchups. So if you get the mm-hmm. wrong matchup in the first round, that could be a really big problem, you know. So I'm while I am happy so far with the rotations and them trying to keep AD and LeBron, and I understand, and I'm sure you understand as well, with them trying to play all the role players at least a little bit to see what they have in every single one of them. I'm sure, and I'm sure you, you agree with this as well, that once we get closer to the season as well, what closer to the playoffs, sorry, um, the rotations will cut down as well, you know? Yeah, they should. I'm curious to see how Kuzma fits into all of this because all of the other role players, you know, the guys outside of LeBron and AD to be specific, they are really dependent upon somebody else to draw attention in order for them to get an open shot. Kuz is the one guy who's not LeBron or AD who can score on his own. And I think that that having that extra guy will help those lineups that have either one of LeBron or AD on the bench. I think that having Kuz, like I think two of those three guys should be on the floor at all times. And ideally in the last five minutes of the game or so, all three between LeBron, AD, and Kuzma. So I, I'm hoping that there's a bit of a chain reaction after that, that if if what you, you're saying, you know, regarding the rotations tightening up and how there have been a couple of times so far where those those lineups with the role players have been exploited, I'm hoping that Kuzma's return can help address that to a certain degree. No, and absolutely. And I also feel like, and I've, most people like this, we're still one wing away from being from going from a really good team which is what i think we are i think we're mm-hmm. really good from going to a not an unstoppable beast but a beast nevertheless that is really difficult to play against absolutely and, and i know the name that everyone goes to is andre guadala he would be the ideal fit but just a hypothetical is there any other profile of player that you'd like to see potentially in a laker uniform that could help our situation. I am hoping that at some point Goran Dragic is is bought out. And forgive oh, me, Alan, if I if I mispronounced his name. Uh, but I, I believe that he's somebody as a point guard who can score off of the ball screen is somebody that the Lakers really need, in, considering the current composition of the roster. Well, I think the biggest Dragic has been really good the first couple of games for Miami. Really, mm-hmm. and the only way I see them getting rid of him is if they go for Chris Paul in OKC, which seems like a very Pat Riley move. I don't know what you think, but uh-huh. that's, that's a that's a huge Pat Riley move because people forget like they they focus on Chris Paul's contract and lot, and yeah, the next couple of years after this year are horrible. Chris Paul's still a very good player in the NBA, very yes, very good NBA player, and. To get a caliber of play like that alongside Jimmy Butler and all the good, really nice young pieces they have in Miami would be a huge boost to the Heat. And 
And I feel like as an OKC team that wants to rebuild, if Dragic makes his way to the OKC Thunder, I feel like there's a very good chance he could end up on the Lakers in some type of buyout, you know. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's really the only scenario. I think it's very unlikely because he's still pretty good himself, right? And uh, the one thing that may work in the Lakers' favor is Miami has a backup point guard that's kind of emerging, Kendrick Nunn, who they really like, um, who's a rookie. But yeah, he's been great, man. He's been great. And so if, I, I think that they would look to trade him before they would buy him out. But again, yeah, that buyout's not happening with him on Miami. It's happening with him on OKC if they're in a position where, you know, they're out of the playoffs. But this is much deeper into the year. But you asked for the type of profile I'm looking for. It's what a guy like what like like Dragic brings is that he, you know, that ball screen point guard who can take some of that playmaking responsibility off of LeBron's shoulders but can still shoot and and uh capitalize on the shots that LeBron creates. I'm just not exactly holding my breath. I think there's a very slim chance of that happening, but that's what I'm hoping for. The type of point guard that I thought we'd go after in the summer and I thought he'd be available until he abruptly retired. Oh, Collison. Yes. I, I, I was hoping we'd go after the Darren Collison this summer and I thought he was going to be gettable until he decided to just hang it up at the age of 30, which yeah. I was shocked with. You know, and he's been tweeting and obviously I, I'm not taking anything off like a random tweet that he put on, on in, or an Instagram post. But if we could somehow coax him out of retirement, that would help us so much. Maybe not completely from a defensive standpoint on bigger wings per se, but offensively, it would just add an extra dimension because he really good three point shooter. He's a good floor general. I'm not saying he's like the best point guard in the NBA, but he's such an upgrade on what we have. It would help us so much. Yes. Yes. And wings, we just need an Iguodala available. And I feel like that happens. I'm not saying it happens now, but I feel like the closer we get to the trade deadline, because I, I don't know about what you think about the Memphis thing. I feel like Memphis is trying to overplay their hand a little bit with Iguodala. Because I feel like the NBA teams are looking at them like they've already got a first for taking on the contract. Right. Like, <laughs> got your reward. What more do you possibly want? You know, I don't know what you think about that. No, well, and he's the type of guy, look, you know, all rumors say that he wants to go to Lakers or possibly the Clippers. Is The Clippers have to trade a fairly solid player in Mo Harkless for him and probably a young guy as well. Right? That's the only way that, and, and you know, they're, they're going to, shoot their shot at being able to do that without having to give up those type of players, right? Because at some point, you know, if, if you have to trade a Harkless for for Iguodala, maybe it's not a wash because Iguodala has some playmaking ability and just ton of deep playoff experience. But, you know, how much is a team going to give up for, especially while having to match contracts. So I, I've heard some encouraging things about his potentially landing on the Lakers when he's bought out. Uh, you know, those things can always change. But Rob Palenka was Andre Iguodala's agent when, you know, he was still doing that. And Iguodala has been on record saying that both he and his wife really love Palenka and what, what he did for them. I'm hoping that's a place where Palenka can come through and beat out the Clippers for a coveted free agent because that did not happen <laughs> over the course of this summer. So <laughs> I'm hoping that being his former agent, that'll, that'll work out. And correct me if I'm wrong, I, I think him and Quinn Cook are quite close as well. That's, that's what they time say. In Golden yeah. State. Yeah. Uh, that's what I've read as well. And if that's also a, a, an advantage, I, I feel like I don't know. 
I feel like the Clippers thing, I feel like the Clippers would try to get him just so the Lakers don't, because I feel like the Clippers are also a smart enough organization to know that if they take him away from arguably their biggest rival, that's a huge advantage for him. But like you said, I, I like Mo Harkless. I think he's a decent NBA player, and I feel like he helps him a lot, especially with the wing that defense, and he can hit the shot every now and then, especially the three-point shot. And I feel like, like you said, I don't feel like they'll give up an abundance of assets to trade Harkless for a good dollar and then other players to make the salaries match, you know? Yeah, no, that's that's where it stands. I'm curious how how long Memphis plays this game of chicken, you know, with Iguodala and with the rest of the NBA. Um, you know, they could do it for the whole season, but I think that they eventually get to the point where there's a buyout. Well, I feel like Iguodala being the vice president of the NBA PA helps that as well. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, I, f- if, I feel like you could do it to certain types of players, but also I feel like, you know, with Iguodala being so influential within players and if they want to attract players in the future as well, I feel like if they, for lack of a better term, piss off the NBA PA vice president, I feel like that's not a good look for the Grizzlies franchise as a whole. And I don't feel like they want to do that either. That's a very interesting angle I hadn't thought of before. That's good stuff, Alan. That Those things factor more into decision-making in the NBA than I think a lot of people realize. No, and it, it's just it's just a t- it's because p- what people is we are we have our fandoms and we don't look at the NBA teams as a French as its business. Sorry, NBA franchises are businesses and their players and people that they associate with are their business clients or business associates. So as a result of that, they look at it that way as well. So the more you start to look at the NBA as a business instead of like, of course, we're we're passionate about it. We love the NBA. You know, we love the players, you know, the teams, regardless of who you support. You have to look at it from that side as well. Absolutely. One player that I'd be interested to see if he's available by the trade deadline, um, not because of nostalgia or anything. If the Pistons are somewhat out of the playoff race, what I've seen from Derrick Rose, I know it's only been three games, but what I've seen from him has been, I don't know if you've caught a lot of the Pistons, but he's looked like a different person this year. And I don't know if that's that's just a, like a three, four, five game boost. We'll see how it goes. But I was very shocked to see how good he's been so far. I only caught him in their opener against Atlanta and he was just getting whatever he wanted. And that was like, wow, I haven't, I mean, he was pretty good last year with Minnesota as well, but that was, you know, it's nice to see guys whose, you know, careers have been sidetracked as a result of injury, being able to get back to, to this point. And I'm curious to see, you know, he'll, he'll never have that type of athleticism that he had prior to the injuries, but seeing him capable of just getting to whatever spot he wanted to, because that was a hallmark of his game prior to the injury. It's been great to see. Yeah. And another thing while, just while we're on Derek Rose is his jump shot looks a lot better as well. Mm -hmm. And in his decision-making, he's, you know, if that's a player that's available as a point guard option that you don't have to give up a great deal of for for a playoff type of run, I feel like that's also a move that you make as well. No, that's it. He's someone I hadn't thought of, but that's he's absolutely. I mean, <laughs> the Lakers are so they've got four or five backup point guard options, but they're all backup caliber players. So if you can get a guy who's can make a credible case to be a starter in the NBA, that's absolutely you do it. No, absolutely. Let's move on. So we talked about the positives and the negatives. We're going to focus on the negatives, but on a more positive aspect now. What improvements do you see the team making over the next couple of weeks? 
Huh. I think the Lakers have a fairly easy schedule coming up. And I think one area where they need to improve that I think they will is improving their spacing in their two big lineups because that's been, you know, we talked about it with Gobert, but Gobert is a unique player. There are not many players who can patrol the paint the way that he can. How can the Lakers maximize their spacing while having two bigs on the floor? There's a, a set called short pick and rolls where you've got say JaVale McGee in the dunker spot, the dunker spot being a little less than halfway between the end of the, the, the lane line on the free throw, uh, you know, the free throw lane line and the three point line, they call that the dunker spot. So when you dump off a pass to a big down low, it's one step in and a dunk. So have him down there, have a high ball screen up top and then two shooters in the corners. That tends to be the best way that you can get spacing while having two bigs on the floor. Lakers haven't run that a ton and that goes back to the need. And I, th- I do think this will improve as you know, both Vogel and players get more familiar with each other, how you attack switches. But if they can do that, plus their short pick and roll sets with, you know, the big in the dunker spot, the high ball screen, two corners, those are two areas I'm specifically looking for on offense for them to get better. What about you, Alan? The improvements I hope to see is trying to get our shooters open a bit more, not just at hoping for LeBron James to be able to find someone on a crazy pass, try and run some drag screens, try and run some, you know, either an elevator play or a stagger mm-hmm. screen to get your Danny Greens open. Because with LeBron and AD, the spacing he'd have on something like that would be incredible. But it's just not an avenue that we've explored yet, which I find crazy. I don't know what you think, but like Danny Green's one of the best catch and shoot players and maybe not off screens, but I feel like even if he shoots, so let's say, at 40% from coming off screens, that's such an advantage for your defense, uh, for your offense, sorry. It's ridiculous, you know? No, that that's certainly the case. And the Lakers have abandoned their screen game. I, I'm going to ask Vogel about this the next time I'm at the practice facility because they've really, like, the switching, that's what I mean, is that the switching is intended to take you out of your screening game. And so when you're talking about the staggers or elevators and plays like that, you know, they're going to switch every screen on that. Well, you can still get opportunities out exactly. of that. You, sh- you should not have let that completely take you out of your game. And what you need to be able to do is have action going toward the basket on those switches. 100%. Cause because once you do that enough, they're not going to be quite as eager to switch or hedge as high. And that is when you start to, uh, that's when you start to get those open looks on the perimeter. We're we're getting a lot of ball pressure on the perimeter too for the same reasons. So the Lakers being able to get action going toward the rim is what will open up those shooting opportunities that you're talking about. Well, the the biggest thing, like you said, they they've not stopped doing that because of switches. Why well, we in my coaching experience, which might be limited, it might not be as a higher level as the NBA itself. However, when we when we have people that switch against us constantly, you just ask your players to dive as hard as they can to the rim. Because what happens then is that's when you create the mismatches. That's when you, if they are switching everything, that's when they'll try and stop it. If you get a couple of easy buckets at the rim, that's when they'll start to guard the, the plays differently. So while I understand him trying to abandon 
not completely, but somewhat, and try and go to other things as well, as apart from just a screen game. It's also a thing of, like, if you don't persist with it, it'll never work. You know, people just realise, oh, if we clutch this a couple of times, it will just get out of their default offence, you know? I don't know what you think about that, but... No, you're 100% right with that, Alan, and that's that's something... I mean, these are all counters, right? Like, I always say basketball is judo, right? You use what the defence is doing against them wherever their weight is shifted, so if they're ball-pressuring you, you don't continue to back up or you don't abandon it, as you said. You attack the basket, right? If they're sagging off of you and, and protecting the paint, then that's the time that's what you shoot. for your shooting game to, to emerge. So I just want to see more of those reading what the defense is doing and using it against them. I, I want Vogel to incorporate that. And I, I think this is a good 10-game stretch or so to do that. I feel like this is where the lack of having a really good offensive coach on the coaching bench itself. I know Phil Handy's fantastic with the player development, but we have no idea realistically how good he is on the team side of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where the lack of a really good, like a Tyloo or a Kokoshkov, well, I'm not going to get on to the Sacramento Kings because they're atrocious. But <laughs> that's where an, a, an offensive mind like that would help. I don't know what you think, but that's where I think a flaw. Having defensive guys like Vogel and Lionel Hollins, who are renowned for being really good defensive minds, you can see it working to an extent. You can see that the coverages they're coming up with, that we're playing really hard defensively as well, which has been fantastic to watch. You know, yeah. but at the same time, I feel like if we had another offensive coach, because I don't think Jason Kidd is any type of coach, you know, right. I feel like he's there for one purpose. And I feel like everyone touched on this uh, to, uh, to a huge scale in the summer. But I feel like that's why we're missing a top tier offensive coach to help out Frank Vogel on that side. You said it better than I could have. That's been a gap in this team. Like you said, I'm thrilled that Handy's on the team and that there's, you know, I, I think improved player development as a result of that. But And it's kind of ironic, you know, they trade away almost all of the young guys and then they bring in <laughs> Phil Handy. It's like, ah, you know, it would have been great to have him around during those years. But um, but yeah, man, like that's that appears to be a gap and that's never been somewhere where Vogel's been particularly strong as maximizing, you know, what they can do on the offensive end. And I've seen that Lakers are, I think, are 20th in offensive rating in the NBA right now. And that just shouldn't happen when you've got when you've got LeBron and AD on the team. I don't care. They've played two very good teams in the Clippers in Utah. But even that being said, they should they've left a lot of points on the table. Yeah, no, 100 percent. And speaking of the easy schedule, it is a much easier schedule than the two teams that we've faced so far. While people are quite down on Utah, Bog, uh, Boyan Bogdanovich wasn't playing for him, which I feel like was a massive loss for him, as we saw last night against the Kings. You know, he's a fantastic player. Um, Mike Conley also being bad. I don't, I, I don't anticipate Mike Conley being that bad throughout the rest of the season. You know, I feel like he'll get back to where he was somewhat maybe not all the way at Memphis but I feel like it's not I feel like it's more of a mental thing I think he's trying too hard like a bit like the AD thing I think he's just trying a bit too hard at the moment but I feel like you know it's two really good teams that we've faced so far and I feel like that's two teams that will make a push for either being really relevant in the Western Conference or even potentially winning it completely in the playoffs you know I don't know what you think but I feel like you know the next 10 games or so, I feel like that will help us a lot and it will make everyone be a bit more positive about the Lakers as long as we do their job against these worse-off teams. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think 8-2 and two is very 
realistic in these next 10 games. Uh, you know, Phoenix is playing significantly better, so they're one of the teams in that stretch, and they're on the road that night, so that may not be as easy of a win as initially projected. But, you know, we'll see. The, the beginning of the season can always be a little bit funky. I remember at the beginning of last season, New Orleans was averaging like 140 points a game, just something completely gaudy. And so things are going to level out, right? But uh, I, I don't think that 8-2 and two over these next 10 games is unrealistic. And if the Lakers are, you know, 10 games from now sitting at 9-3, and three, we're having some pretty optimistic conversations about what this team t- can do, man. And it's been just way too long. So I'm, I'm really excited that, you know, I'm, knock on wood, that that's going to be something that we have to look forward to. 100%. And just speaking about New Orleans, how nice is it seeing these young guys play well? I mean, I know they're not part of the Lakers anymore, but how nice was it seeing Brandon Ingram and Alonzo doing what we all knew that they were, you know, we all knew that they were very good NBA players, but the narrative of them being Lakers and when they're not Lakers is completely different. Yeah, I I roll my collective eyes. I'm trying to engage less, not always successfully, with what I feel are the more disingenuous parts of NBA Twitter for exactly the reason that you're talking about. Like, I, I always say that the Lakers ruined a lot of people's childhoods. And that that is something that you see the resentment manifest itself, especially over these last six or seven years where they've been bad. And, you know, everyone likes to kick the giant when the giant is down. But uh, seeing the kids that we all knew were good, like you said, and that's one thing, man, that I I hope this team has enough. The Lakers, that is, has enough talent on it because they've drafted so well over the last five years. And they've got Anthony Davis to show for that, which is a lot. But just seeing guys around the league be successful, not just Ingram and Lonzo and Hart in New Orleans, but you've got Thomas Bryant making himself a real NBA center. Yeah, uh, Wagner's played very well to start this season. Zubats is starting for the Clippers. Uh, You know, Clark Clarkson and Nance. These are not all-star caliber players, but these are solid guys. And they're, you know, every NBA team needs that depth, you know, between your fifth best and your eighth or ninth best players that that's kind of a worry that I have with this Laker roster. I hope they didn't get quite enough for or I hope they did get enough for what those guys who left uh, that they've gotten in return in order to make the title run that we want them to make. Even Bunga starting for the Wizards now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. We didn't and even bring up Russell got a max contract this summer. Yeah, a lot of talented guys. Well, apparently our, our front office and the scouting side's very bad and we, we overhype our players and they're not good enough to play in the NBA. We just make it out to be that they are, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and here's the thing that drives me crazy about that, Alan. When you draft 19-year-olds, they're usually not very good. Not because they're not good players, but because they're 19, playing in a league of men who are seven, eight years older than men than they are on average. And so these guys who the Lakers trade after two or three years on the team being good elsewhere, it's like, no, that's not like a Lakers like screwed something up. It's like you have to wait for these guys to develop because players don't become good. It's the same thing on the other end of the spectrum. You know, that that peak of an NBA player's career is around 27, 28 years old. Well, when a guy is 35 years old like we don't expect a 35 year old Dwayne Wade to be a 27 year old Dwayne Wade but a you know a 19 year old Dwayne Wade was still in college and exactly. we, we never think about that so you know part of it is I think the Lakers have given up on some of them a little too early and didn't get enough in return but these dudes could play that's why they were drafted as high as they were in the first place well I feel like having 
I know Wagner got a hard deal of it because he was Magic Johnson's pick and what have you. I feel like having someone of Wagner's skill set as a backup five would have helped a lot right now. I don't stretch the floor, yeah, man. Precisely because he's he's been really good shooting the ball off the bench for the Wizards. Really good, and you know I feel like Zach Norvell looks like a decent pickup. You know, as a two-way player, there's another undrafted guy that we found who I feel like could carve out not being a great player, but maybe a solid role player in the future for the Lakers, which is a huge thing. We we obviously have to see what Taylor Horton Tucker is as well. But, you know, all signs were, you know, listening to people who know the draft better than I do. Shout outs to Ben Rosales on Twitter, yes. who's fantastic at it. He was so high on Taylor Horton Tucker, and that might be another gem that we've picked up there that, you know, at 46 that could develop. But it's that same thing, the kid's 18, you know, he's not going to be a an instant producer straight away. And that's why people, like you said, we just need to have a bit of patience with these guys. That's right. Because look at Ingram now. Ingram's mm-hmm. improved year on year to the point where now, I know it's only been three games, so actually looking... It, the, the sample size is small, but Ingram's now a legit, in my opinion, 20 to 25 point a game scorer in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Like, and Lonzo's fantastic. We all know what Lonzo is. And as long as he can get his shot consistently, Lonzo, and I still attest to this, uh, as much as I like Donovan Mitchell and I think he's going to be fantastic in the NBA, I was always under Lonzo should have been the number one pick in that draft. Because you you know how it is when the Lakers had a high draft pick, you pay attention more to college basketball and what have you. Mm-hmm. You pay attention to these blue chip prospects. I thought Lonzo Ball was uh, maybe not scoring generational prospect, but a generational prospect in his defense, which is sublime. His vision, his passing, his rebounding for his positions ridiculous as well. You know, I feel like if we can trust our guys with anything it can be with the drafting. So let's hope that, you know, we find some gems again, you know, to, that's to, right. for that. That's right. No, I just want to say a huge thank you, Pete, for coming on to the show. It was it, a pleasure. It, it was a delight to talk to another coach and, you know, somebody who really knows the game at a high level. I really loved this conversation, Alan. Thank you. If you can just, you know, it's pleasure's all mine, believe me. If you can just tell the people where to find you on Twitter, on YouTube, what have you. Yeah, I'm at, at Laker Film Room on Twitter. You can find my YouTube channel under Laker, Laker Film Room as well. Um, I've got a couple of things that are very close of some exciting uh, you know, job opportunities I've got coming up, but I cannot announce them yet because uh, ink is you know, not quite put to paper, but it's very close. So yeah, give me a follow on Twitter. Um, you'll see, see my work in a few different places this season. Oh, and it's um if you are a laker fan it's a must follow to follow pete zayas on twitter you know watch his videos support him all you can you know thank you once more for coming on to the show sir i appreciate it my pleasure alan thank you and just want to say thanks for listening please leave us a five-star review on itunes or apple podcast sorry or wherever you find your podcasts um thanks for listening go lakers <laughs>